When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today's episode of SFF Yeah! is sponsored by Read Harder 2021. Book Riot's annual reading challenge is back. Once again, Read Harder 2021 has 24 tasks designed to help you break out of your reading bubble and expand your worldview through books. With new genres, new authors, and new points of view, the challenge will hopefully help you discover amazing books you wouldn't have otherwise picked up. Read romance by trans or non-binary authors, non-European books in translation, middle-grade mysteries, and more in this year's challenge. Go to bookriot.com slash readharder to get the full challenge task list and to check out the prizing for those who complete the challenge. That's bookriot.com slash readharder. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 98, and we're recording on February 19th. I'm Sharifa Williams, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. And today, in very fun themes, since it feels like we talk about adaptation news all the time, we are doing our own dream adaptations with Dreamcast, and I had so much fun with this. Yeah, same. So much fun. (laughs) And before we talk about that, I also wanted to remind everybody out there um, that our episode 100 is coming up, which is also very exciting. Mm-hmm. And we really wanted to get some ideas from y'all about what we should cover, how we should celebrate. We definitely have to because that's a big, a big landmark for us. So, yeah, triple digits. Exciting. Uh, yeah. And thank you to the folks who already sent in some ideas. They are much appreciated. So we'll see. Lovely. We'll see what we end up doing but yeah I always love to do a dream cast <laughs> yeah I think I've only done it like you know on a casual level of like you're drinking and you're thinking about your favorite things and you, right you know throw things at the wall with your friends but I never got to like actually sit down and like who do I like and who's out there and who it direct and I had a lot of a lot of fun with this and was very selfish, which I think is the way it's supposed to be done. A hundred percent. Like, this is your dreamcast. Yeah, I've done a fair few. And actually, this is reminding me now, true, true Book Riot story. One of the first posts that I wrote for Book Riot that, like, went big enough to get some nasty comments back in the day Ooh. when we used to have comments was a recasting of the Lord of the Rings with, like, diverse and inclusive acting actor choices oh wow and people were real 
mad about it. Some uh, folks were real mad about it. Uh, and that was a fun day on the internet. <laughs> um, I hope you didn't read those comments. Cause I certainly did nightmare. not. <laughs> I did not. I, I, that was, I think that was maybe my very first big lesson in not reading the comments on the internet. I should try to unearth that. It's probably, it's online somewhere. I'll unearth that post and drop it in the show notes for y'all. I'm curious to look at it too. I distinctly remember casting Jason Momoa as one of the writers of Rohan, I'm pretty sure that <laughs> happened. <laughs> so, like, talk about indulgent. Like, it was very... That is excellent. I am not surprised, and I also I would totally support this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll dig it up, and I'll drop it in the show. I had forgotten about that until right now, but I did the... All of which is to say, I am not new to the to the Dreamcast world, so it was really fun to have an excuse to do another one. Uh, but before we get into our news and our Dreamcasts, let's do a sponsor spot. So our first sponsor today is Tor Books, and the book in question is The Echo Wife by Sarah Gailey. And they're calling this Orphan Black Meets Killing Eve, two things that I love. Uh, it is one of 2021's most anticipated books. And obviously it is from the Hugo award-winning author of Magic for Liars. Martine is a genetically cloned replica made from Evelyn Caldwell's prestigious research. She's patient and gentle and obedient. She's everything Evelyn swore she'd never be. And she's having an affair with Evelyn's husband. But now the cheating bastard is dead, and both Caldwell wives have a mess to clean up. Good thing Evelyn Caldwell is used to getting her hands dirty. That is a synopsis that definitely sells this book to me, Mm -hmm. uh, at the very least. And I love this uh, question that they pose. What if the other woman was you? That is definitely a trip. So... Again, this is for fans of female-centric thrillers like Killing Eve and Big Little Lies and then clone-centric science fiction like Orphan Black and Westworld. And we do love Gailey a lot around here. So, again, Mm -hmm. that's The Echo Wife by Sarah Gailey. You can check it out now. Awesome. All right. So so it was so funny on this, our Dreamcasting episode, I was like, I'm going to find news that's not Dreamcast or uh, adaptation, <laughs> adaptation related. I was like, all we talk, and it's fine. And there's so much to talk about. But I was like, I'm going to go on a hunt for news that is not about adaptations. So my first thing I want to talk about has actually been on this list for a little, a hot minute, and I'm glad to finally get to it. Uh, Locus put out their 2020 recommended reading list, meaning like the books from 2020 that they recommend that you read. They put it out in early February, and this is the most extensive list in the world. It is extremely (laughs) long. They've got a billion categories. Like, there's novels for science fiction and fantasy. There's horror. There's first novels. There's collections. There's anthologies. There's illustrated books. Like, there's just nonfiction. There's everything. They cover everything. Um, And these titles were selected by a large group of folks involved at Locus, including, you know, reviewers and editors and 
all kinds of people uh, collaborating to put this list together. Um, apparently, they looked at over 900 titles, which is oh, wow. a lot of books. Uh. And and this is, I mean, so it's like this could have been longer, which is bananas. Um, but it's a really interesting list. I will say that my first instinct when looking at this, especially the novels science fiction category, was to be like, oh, this is a little wider than it needs to be. Um, yeah. But the other categories are, are actually much more inclusive, which made me happy. And there are some amazing books called out on here, as well as some that I have been meaning to get to. So I was really delighted to see this list. So if you feel like you're just like out of touch with the books from 2020, which I know has, you know, it was hard to keep track of book releases last year because of all the news stuff going on. So this Mm -hmm. is a really good starting point in a lot of ways um, with that caveat about the science fiction uh, novel list to sort of, you know, dive back into what came out last year that you might have missed that you might want to bump up. Yeah, it's a it's definitely a last year was difficult as well. everything was moving around so much like yeah. release dates and everything. Oh, yeah. So I, I think a lot of people I feel bad for authors whose yes. books came out in 2020 forever and ever because mm-hmm. it must it had to be a difficult year for them between not being able to do like book tours and also people being confused about when their book was actually coming out. So this is really great. It's also a reminder to me of how little reading I did in 2020. <laughs> so you, that's you, nice. <laughs> you're not alone. You're not alone. But there's nothing wrong with having more books to choose from, especially when you know that a group of people went through a lot of effort to put together a list like this, because I would definitely not be going through 900 titles. Hell no. For the record. But I appreciate those who do. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. Okay, well... I do have adaptation news, but I'm I'm gonna le- I'm gonna lead with non-adaptation news <laughs> to stay in theme. But this is really exciting, especially for Daniel Jose older fans like myself. Uh, Rick Reardon, who has a very very popular imprint, Rick Reardon presents. Um, it's a great imprint. Has optioned, or I guess the word is an optioned, um, they're getting YA books from Daniel Jose Older. And this is the first foray into YA for Rick Reardon Presents, which is generally, you know, middle grade. And I've loved some of the books that I've read in Rick Reardon Presents. And of course, I love Daniel Jose Older's Shadow Shaper series, which I've been, you know, raving about for a long time. So when I saw this news, I was really excited that Older was launching like these YA books. And it's a two book um, series. So they've bought two books from him. And it's a duology, which is another thing I love because I I don't know why the idea of reading two books versus three or more in a series <laughs> feels more comfortable to me. <laughs> I can I can do that. I can manage it. Yeah. So this is going to be an urban fantasy series called Outlaw Saints and the first book, uh, Ballad and Dagger, isn't going to be out this year. It's out um 
next summer. It's May 2022 is the planned release date, and the second one will be out the following year, May 2023. But this story sounds so cool and so interesting, and it has so many amazing components. So they describe Ballad and Dagger, which has a protagonist named Matteo Matisse, who's born in San Madrigal, which is an island in the Caribbean. And it's this place that's a refuge for pirates and uh, Sephardic Jews who are fleeing the Inquisition and also Cuban Santeros. And then the island is destroyed in this freak hurricane and you end up with this diaspora in Brooklyn from that event. And so Mateo, who's a teenager and a piano prodigy, who's living with two aunts, and I I love this, that one is alive and the other is a spirit, which is totally up my alley. Mm -hmm. And so he's playing the piano at this event, and there's this thing that happens where gods and magical creatures start appearing, and there's street battles and neighboring factions that are battling and Mateo discovers he has these healing abilities, and he's joined by Shella Hidalgo, who's the rabbi's daughter, who also discovers she has powers. So, so many things happening in this book. <laughs> and I cannot wait because I love the Shadow Shaper series because Older has such a great, like, he lives in Brooklyn. He is of that place. He also talks about how so many aspects of this book are personal to him mm-hmm. as somebody who was raised in a Cuban Jewish household. And also, this I did not know. He, he's he been an, an, an initiated Santeria priest for 10 years. Yeah, I didn't know Super that part either. Yep. That's so cool. And also a New York City paramedic. I'm just like completely fascinated. And I can't wait for this to come out. So, you know, May 2022 can't come soon either. <laughs> yeah, I was super excited to see this as well. Um, I I was actually just talking about uh, the Rick Riordan Presents series on, I guess it on the Kidlit These Days podcast. And we were talking about fantasy and chapter books. And there are so many good ones. Um, and I'm really excited to see them adding YA to their offerings, not least because several of the authors who are already publishing with them write YA also. So yes, it seems to me that like, I mean, I'm so glad that they brought in Older because he's he's great. Like you said, I'm a huge fan of his work. But I also wondering like, oh, does that mean like Roshni Chokshi's new book will be for that in YA oh. like you know what I mean because they they do have some YA authors already on the payroll writing middle grade for them so I'm super I both I really want to read these books and I'm really curious to see what will come next for that imprint so yeah exciting yeah. news all around yeah and I should say that this is a uh, Publishers Weekly reported on this piece and Claire Kirch was the one who talked about it so thank you for excellent news this week mm-hmm All right. So my next, I'm really excited to talk about this, Sharifa. My next piece of news. (laughs) This is great. This is so great. As you know, if you've listened to the show, we love to talk about nerd and geek fashion. And apparently it is, first of all, how can this be true that it is the 25th anniversary of Pokemon? Like, first of Uh. all. (laughs) 
how does time work? Like, really? 25 years ago was was Pokemon. Like, I can't even handle that, knowing that about, like, my own, how that, what that means for my own life and age is kind of shocking. Um, but it is, in fact, the 25th anniversary of Pokemon uh, this year. And so they are teaming up with all kinds of different other partners like apparently there's McDonald's cards and they're like doing a thing with Post Malone but what they're doing with Levi's which cracks me up is they have designed a whole line of branded outfits Pokemon brand outfits and the like centerpiece is this Canadian tuxedo it's like a denim jacket and pants and this amazing floral with all of these Pokemon creatures peeking out of it Uh, so I'm I'm looking at the story on The Verge, uh, reported by Chaim Gartenberg. And it is, you have to click through to see this picture. It's amazing. It is also the most 90s thing in the whole world. Like, the denim tuxedo has not been a thing since Justin Timberlake and Britney Spears were a couple. And I don't know about you, but I'm having all kinds of flashbacks back to my early teen years. Yeah, I mean, I I remember when, like, Pokemon cards were for, I can't remember why, but they were, like, banned from our school. <gasps> really? It was so weird. I don't, I, I remember being like, I don't understand why, like, do they think we're gambling or something? I don't get it. But I, I imagined when I saw this, I just imagined, like, going, walking into school, like, the boss wearing the Pokemon <laughs> suit in resistance to, like, the banning of these cards. Like, here I am. What are you going to do now? Like, oh my it's God. just so, it's the most nerdy. And I can't wait. I just want to see somebody in real life walking around Portland in this outfit. Oh, yeah. I agree. I mean, it's, I, like... I'm not the hugest Pokemon fan. Like, I like Pokemon, but I'm not, like, a dedicated, you know, whatever. Yeah. But And so the price point on this is definitely out of my range. It's $128 for the jacket and $148 for the jeans. <laughs> and it's like, okay, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. But uh, I look forward to potentially seeing this on a red carpet someday or, yeah, yes. walking around the streets. I don't know if this is a Philly vibe, honest, to be perfectly honest with you. I think you have a better <laughs> shot in Portland. Um, but this is amazing regardless. Although I bet you if I still lived in Brooklyn, it would take, like, no time at all. I would see it. I would see oh, it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. And, like, I'm sure when we have our first, like, comic conventions for real, like, in person again. Oh, yeah. There are going to be multiple people wearing this. Yeah. there's. This is not the only thing that they have made with Levi's. This is just the only one I care to talk about because yeah. it's so amazing. <laughs> you made the right choice. Oh, thank you. I'm glad you agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have adaptation news because I can't help myself. It's uh, exciting. Yeah. yeah, these are both really cool. So I'm going to be – one of them's really quick because there isn't that much information about it. Both of these are kind of like still in early phases. But the first one is from Deadline reported by Alexandra Del Rosario. And it's announcing that STX TV, which I have no I have no idea what that is, but whatever, is developing a TV adaptation of Hafsa Faisal's uh, 
We Hunt the Flame, which is that hugely popular YA fantasy adventure novel that I'm sure even if the name of the book doesn't come to you, if you saw that cover, you would Mm -hmm. remember it from being everywhere when it came out in 2019. Um, But this is really, really cool for a number of reasons. Uh, It's a TV adaptation that's being envisioned as a one-hour series. And it's funny because they use the phrase, it'll take inspiration from the novel, uh, which can mean all sorts of things in terms of like Mm. how it's actually realized on screen. But it's set in the fantasy world still, inspired by uh, ancient Arabia, and it follows a female hunter and an assassin prince who go through adventures and there's romance as well. And they're on these opposing quests to return magic to their kingdom. And I thought that the really exciting part of this too was that Faisal is going to executive produce. So especially for uh, an author who I believe this was Faisal's debut. Mm -hmm. Um, So for somebody so new, I just thought that this was really cool that this author is already getting an opportunity to executive produce something. Like, this must be a super, super exciting time, not just to have your book turned into an adaptation, but also to have a real say in how that actually ends up looking. Um, And so I'm really excited to see how they realize this story, of course, because right now it's um, it's been optioned. There isn't a lot of information about what this is going to look like, but I'm going to be following the news for sure. And then the other little bit of adaptation news I wanted to include comes from Shadow and Act, and this is reported on by Trey Mag- Mangum, and um, it's about, it's a children's book adaptation from Lupita Nyong'o, who we all love, and in case you didn't know, Lupita Nyong'o wrote Solway, which was a children's book about a little girl who has this who has skin the color of midnight. And the description of this book is so precious and wonderful. Um, So it's about a little girl who's darker than everyone she knows, and she wants to be beautiful and bright. So she's visited by this shooting star sent by the night and goes on this magical journey, learning about the story of the sisters night and day. So it's about, you know, colorism and self-esteem and Uh, learning that beauty comes from within. So I just thought this was such a wonderful bit of news, and especially that it's going to be an animated musical film, Mm -hmm. which I just love. So I'm really excited about both of these uh, being turned into adaptations, and I could not resist talking about them. I am excited for this too. This looks adorable. Can't wait for my nibblings to be able to watch it um, along with myself. But also super interesting is that they, this is coming from Netflix. Like this is like, this is Disney territory, right? Like animated musicals. This is Disney territory. But Netflix is the one that's doing this. And apparently, I didn't realize this, but the article also notes that they're doing a couple of other big pushes into animation, um, mm-hmm. including a Chicken Run sequel. That's like <laughs> that's taking me back right there. Um, and Guillermo del Toro is doing a Pinocchio. Like what? No, I had no idea. I know. So this is all super interesting to me, and uh, I, for one 
especially since Disney bought Pixar, am all about them having some competition in Mm -hmm. the animated film market. Like they've, I'm like a huge fan of some of the recent ones, including, you know, Moana. um, And I'm super excited about, oh, what's it called? Jaya and the Dragon something something. Um, So there's ones coming out that I'm jazzed about, but like they have been the only game in town for so long. And if anybody can give them a run for their money, I hope it's Netflix. Uh, and I hope that that then pushes them to like, yeah, do more inclusive projects and like branch mm. out a bit. So, so yeah, we'll see. But I, yeah, I think this is very exciting as well. I love it. Okay. Was that it for our news already? That's, I know. How Went did fast. that happen? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> then I'm going to talk about our sponsor. Which is Signal Podcast, A General Mystification, Volume 1. So will you choose to follow the instructions within the Signal? Signal is launching a new participatory arts podcast. And in each episode, you'll hear a smoothing, almost, I kind of am horrified by saying this, almost eargasmic voice oh boy suddenly <laughs> suddenly inviting you into a hidden world that's existing all around you and in each episode there are challenges and small collaborative acts you can participate in in the real world so through this magical realist content the signal becomes a new vessel for ancient wisdom and a medicine for the troubles currently ailing our world. This exciting new podcast experience is brought to you by Nonchalance. And the creators were also behind the Jejun Institute and the Latitude Society. The team has been recognized as pioneers in the world of immersive entertainment, having created these visceral, real-world experiences before a formal category even existed. So will you choose to follow the instructions within the signal? Visit SYGNYL.com. Again, that's SYGNYL.com to listen to the first three episodes, which are now streaming everywhere. So thank you to Signal. All right, let's talk about some adaptations that we want to see in the world. And it looks like I'm kicking us off. And firstly, I literally came up with one of these uh, casting decisions like three minutes before we started recording. (laughs) I realized I had completely forgotten one thing that is extremely important. But I'm kicking us off by talking about The Good House by Tanana Reef Du. And I really gave some thought to what I wanted to see in the theater. And I went back and forth on the actual. There are so many books out there that I would want to see. But because I've been obsessed with old school horror movies like all Mm. my life I kind of leaned back on my old favorite and that's why I went with one of my all-time favorite paranormal horror books which is The Good House and I just in my mind this is kind of a, a perfect fit because Do is already so intertwined with the world of horror films it's almost I almost felt like I was cheating a little here <laughs> but she's written on the subject in Black Horror Rising which is an article she wrote for Uncanny magazine which I'll link in the show notes it's really good you should read it 
And she was also featured as an expert in the 2019 documentary that everybody yelled at me to watch, uh, Horror Noir. <laughs> so good. Uh, it's a history of black horror. And if I know, like, not everybody who isn't obsessed with horror has a subscription to the Shutter sc- streaming platform. But if you do happen to have Shudder, that's where it's streaming, and you can go watch it there. It's excellent and well worth the time. And then, you know, The Good House has this feel of an an older horror film, like the ones I used to watch, and specifically older Stephen King films like Pet mm. Cemetery, in that it has that domestic, small-town, quaint theme happening, except instead of your usual main setting, we're in the small fictional town of Sacagawea in Washington. And truly, you do not need to film outside of the Pacific Northwest to get an eerie vibe uh, for this movie, so I would definitely set it where it should be. And, you know, we out here, we've got the eternal darkness of winter, which I am living through right now. I was just talking with Jen about how the sun finally showed its face, like, today, and I couldn't believe it. <laughs> we've got, like, the gloom and the fog and the rain, and we've got the old woods. And I haven't—I was thinking about where this should actually be filmed, like, specifically— And realized that I haven't been in a lot of small towns in Washington. But the one small town I have visited, Olympia, seems like a really great filming destination for this faux town. Because it's got that old town district with the quaint small businesses and some beautiful parks and like deer running through neighborhoods. Which is what I pictured from the... Sacagawea in the good house. It's a really sort of charmed place. And then the one thing about the Pacific Northwest is, of course, it is also super white, which Mm -hmm. is also part of the story. So fitting. And so for those of you who haven't read The Good House, it the story actually follows Angela Toussaint, who moves into her late grandmother's home in Sacagawea with much hesitation after this terrible tragedy occurs there. And she's a recently divorced, grieving mom. She's struggling to come to terms with the death in the family. She's also a black woman returning to a very white town in a house that's been in her family for a long time, starting with uh, a black woman and a Native American man. But here's the thing. The house is called the good house because her grandmother was beloved in the town. So there's this sort of complicated story going on of, you know, the the story acknowledges the racial disparity here. But it doesn't exactly follow the expected trope of a black woman dealing with racism in a small white town like you might expect going into a story of this sort. And Angela Toussaint, the main character, is mostly confronting grief in this story. That's kind of the big bad wolf, as well as this other story of, you know, her line of descendants. And I think that this depiction of blackness in in horror is something we really don't get a lot of. And Angela Toussaint herself is this really compelling, many-layered character. She's not the stereotype of the strong black woman, which is something you might see in horror films where there Mm. may be one black woman or whatever as a side character. 
And she expresses her grief and her fears throughout the book. And so in thinking about casting for Angela, who is the sort of person, you know, who is really active and still has it after all these years, like she attracts an old flame later in the book. And she also has that L.A. feel since that's where she's been living as an adult or she had been living as an adult. I ended up going with Viola Davis. Mm. And I just think Davis is such a powerhouse who's got that glamour but is also versatile enough to shift into this sort of small town mode. I think I I read that she had originally been in like some small town theater stuff in Rhode Island. So I feel like, yeah, yeah. So I was like, well, she's already, she probably already knows what that's like. And that's sort of something Angela, the character, does when she returns to Sacagawea. She kind of goes back to, she reverts back to how she was as a child and living in a small town and enjoying that small town life. And I just think Davis is also really interesting in that she tends to be in these movies that have this level of gravitas and a sort of theatrical stage production feel. And I think it would be interesting to see what she would bring to a horror movie because this book is really full of emotion And I don't think she would be lacking opportunities to really flex and show off her acting chops because of that. So I just think Davis is perfect for this character, which would be the lead character. And I think another important character in the book is Angela's son, Corey, who was subjected to summer visits to this town with his mom and dad. And I say subjected because Corey does not exactly appreciate small towns like his mom does. Um, and, you know, he's a teen with all the hormones, impatience, and also the desire to be doing his own thing with his own friends. Like, he's being parted from his life and his usual activities when he's forced to go to Sacagawea for the summer. And so for this role, I was thinking about like that sort of angsty teenager who's like irritable all the time, but also (laughs) maybe for some good reasons. So I ended up going with Caleb McLaughlin, who's really familiar with playing a teen, going through some changes And also being in creepy, speculative situations, thanks to his role as Luca in Stranger Things. Uh, Lucas, sorry. And so Lucas and, and the other kids in Stranger Things kind of to be honest, got on my nerves a little bit. <laughs> because teenagers, you know, in the same way yeah. Corey in The Good House got on my nerves a little bit because he's a teenager, like, I felt the same way about some of the kids in Stranger Things, especially because they were going through some stuff, like, uh, going from being kids to, like, liking people and being super awkward and stuff like that. But... Also, Corey faces some real struggles with the small town life, as you might imagine, a black kid in a uh, a very white dominant town would, uh, especially coming from a big city and that sort of life. So the fact that he hasn't fully bought into this town the way his mom does is totally understandable. And I just think Caleb 
uh, would do a great job at expressing that sentiment. <laughs> and then we've also got Corey's dad and Angela's ex-husband, Tariq, who was an interesting character to cast because his character goes pretty drastically between a man who's flawed but trying to do right by his ex-wife and son and also this really awful, intimidating character. And I'm probably going to show my age a little in my super obvious casting choice, but I ended up landing on Denzel Washington. (laughs) Maybe because I've noticed him in all sorts of things lately. I don't know why, but He's he's most recently in Little Things, which is streaming on HBO Max, which is also on my watch list. But also there is this sort of fun, initially unintended tie-in in that he produced this movie that's out now called Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Which oh, yeah. Is, yeah, yeah. It's on my streaming list because... It's supposed to be really, really good. And that movie stars none other than Viola Davis. So there's also a connection there, thin as it may be. I mean, a producer. No, that's that's solid. And I just have to take it. I've watched it. It is amazing. Oh, good. It's so good. Viola Davis is, I mean, everybody's incredible in it. And, like, Chadwick Boseman is in it. And he's almost unrecognizable, quite frankly. Like, the way that he portrays that character is such a far cry from, for example, T'Challa in Black Panther. So, like, it's you Uh. see the chops. Everybody's chops are, like, so evident. It's amazing. It's really, really good. Okay. I can't wait to watch this. and. You know, I I just love Denzel Washington as somebody in film in general. Mm. And, I mean, as a kid, I watched a bunch of movies he starred in, of course, <laughs> as you might expect. He was in lots of things. But, you know, I remember him being in some great thrillers, including, like, The Bone Collector, which absolutely freaked me out. Mm-hmm. And I just think he does have the acting chops, of course, to portray a character with two really, really different personalities, uh, which isn't an easy thing to do. And I just think the star po- the star power would be incredible. So those are the three uh, point of views we get in the book. And then there's this whole town of characters who are these side characters. But the last two characters I wanted to cast who have smaller roles are Angela's best friend, Naomi, and also um, another character. I'll talk about Angela's friend first, actually. So Naomi is Angela's friend and client, who's this sort of celebrity, very small part in this book, um, but obviously a very important person in Angela's life and behind her decision to ultimately go to the good house. And Naomi is just this character who gives Angela the real talk, even though she's like this L.A. celeb. Uh, But she has this groundedness that makes her a delight. And I was just thinking, like, with these smaller roles, you really have the opportunity to get fun with your casting choices. Mm. So I was like, who would I want to see who doesn't necessarily have to be like an act like in a lot of movies and a, a traditional like act? or actress or whatever. So I went with Lizzo. (laughs) So good. I just think she's the perfect person to like tell it like it is when 
Uh, this character, Angela, needs guidance. And I just think Lizzo guides us all. And I think it would just see, <laughs> I think it would be fun to just see her play up the charm while also there's this one scene in the book where she's basically like being asked for an autograph at a place that I immediately was like, are they talking about Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles? Because that is <laughs> what this place sounds like. And that just sounded like that sort of like casual elegance of being this mega celeb, but also being totally game for signing some autographs and hugging some people. I just thought that was a perfect, a perfect role for somebody like Lizzo. And then the other smaller role I wanted to cast is Grandma Marie. Again, very small part, even though her backstory is a big part of this book. Um, but Grandma Marie is Angela's grandma, who's this really powerful woman and a healer. And I ended up thinking of Eartha Kitt for this role because mm. I'm low-key obsessed with Eartha Kitt. And I think she's this generally wonderfully witchy type of person who mm -hmm. would fall into this role really well and has that elder quality you would need from a character like Grandma Marie. Um and then the thing, the cat, the not casting, really, the decision I made like three minutes before we started recording <laughs> was the director, because I realized when I saw yours that you chose a director. And I was like, that's great. I need to do that. But who? <laughs> I have two minutes now. Uh, so I chose Nia DaCosta, who is an up and coming director most recently um, wrote and directed a crime thriller film that I haven't watched yet, Little Woods. But then I was immediately like, yes, this is my choice because I learned that Nia DaCosta directed the upcoming reboot horror film Candyman, which oh. I watched as a young person and was absolutely terrified by <laughs> and i was like this is perfect this is the dream so i think that i feel really great about my dream casting for the good house and if you have not read that book and you just need something indulgently scary and completely it's a it's a big book but it's a, a complete page turner I read it so quickly, which is a big thing for me to say. You should definitely check out The Good House by Tanana Reeve Du. I will say that this movie and the book would come with trigger warnings for suicide and pedophilia. So there's that. You did a great job. Obviously. Thank you so much. You're so That's thorough. It's so, and it's really interesting to hear someone explain their dream casting choices because, you know, I, and this is going to sound weird considering what I picked, but like I did not think nearly as much about setting and lo locale as you did. <laughs> um, so it's cool to, and like you focused on different things. So it's fun to like see how somebody else approaches it. Uh, so here's here's what happened with mine is that I I feel like all, so many things have actually already been optioned and I really wanted to pick yeah. something that hadn't been and like Smart. watch I failed anyway but like uh, yeah and then 
We talked about on our most anticipated show the newest book in the Fatma al-Sha'arawi series by P. Jelly Clark. Um, And I got so excited after we recorded that show that I went through and both read and reread all of the books in the series. (laughs) Yeah, I did. I fell down this hole. So I have now read all of them. They're all fantastic. I can't wait for everybody else to read A Master of Jinn, which is the new one coming out this year so that we can talk about it because it's... It's great. But I was like, this series, this would make an amazing TV limited series. Like, this would be an incredible, like, prestige TV series to play with. And I think, like, at this point, you know, it is a fantasy. It's an alternate history. It's set in mostly in Cairo, but uh, uh, some other locales in Egypt. And um, it's got, you know, like, these giant sort of steampunky angels and there's magical creatures like jinn and ghouls and you know there's uh like all kinds of different things that you would have to spend you know some fx budget on but Mm -hmm. we know because we're seeing them being developed that like people have money for that now and so i think this is like just ripe for an incredible tv series um also i was thinking about it and we've seen a lot of this lately i think most particularly in the cast for Dune is that there are so many movies that are either involving or inspired by Middle Eastern and North African locations or culture or stories, but that don't cast Middle Eastern or North African actors. Like, there are still really limited roles for actors um, from those places and of those descents in, you know, Hollywood and other film ecosystems. And I was like, well, this is perfect. I mean, the whole thing takes place in Egypt. You've got such a great cast of folks um, from different parts of the African continent as well as from Egypt. And, like, it's all right there. It's all right there. And I knew the first thing I knew, honestly, was my director because <laughs> so I picked Anna Lily Amirpour, who directed Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, which Sharifa, have you seen this movie? I haven't. I okay. saw I, ke- I kept going by it when I was like scrolling, doing my streaming ennui, and yeah. I kept wanting to watch it. But no, I have not. So I recommend it. It's super weird. It's like, I think they called it like a spaghetti western vampire movie, which is not. Mm. It's like, but it's urban. (laughs) The whole thing is shot in black and white. Like, it's extremely atmospheric and kind of slow. It's that slow burn, super stressful. You're just constantly like, what is going to happen next? It's really intense and strange. And then she also directed Bad Batch, which is this like cannibals in the desert in the future like Jason Momoa is in it like it's a really strange weird so like the projects that she does all are like extremely quirky and atmospheric and sort of unexpected in all of these ways which is exactly how I feel about this series like I feel like they're so so many different elements that Clark is blending and playing with. And, like, I feel like Amirpur will get it and um, want to stay true to the material in a way that is important to me as, like, you know, I'm dreamcasting here, like, because yes. I love the original so much. So 
So she was my first, like, oh, I know exactly who I want to pl- to direct this. Um, the casting was an interesting experience because, you know, like, I don't always know the young and up-and-coming actors, and there's only so many ways to slice and dice in IMDb to get the information that I was yep. looking for. Especially if you're looking for Middle Eastern and North African actors, like, they just don't have as much exposure, so it can be a little harder to find. But I feel really good about my choice for Fatma, which is Gulshifta Farhani. Um, she is... Like, she's she's a little bit older than theoretically the correct age. Fatima, I think, is in her, like, mid to late 20s. Um, and Golshifta is my age, which is mid-30s. But she, you know, like so many actresses, she looks like she could play 18 if she really wanted to. So I think, she, you know, I think she'd be fine. She's gorgeous. She has the look that I feel like Fatima has um, from the descriptions in the book. And she's been in a bunch of interesting things. She's been in a Pirates of the Caribbean movie. She's done some indie films. Like, she's been in a whole range of things. She was actually also in uh, um, Chicken with Plums, which is an adaptation of um, a Marjane Satrapi uh, comic. So, like, she's done some really interesting work. And I feel like she would be a good choice for Fatma, who is, uh, you know, she's a young and up-and-coming sort of supernatural detective detective in this police force in a Cairo where, you know, there are jinn running around, there's magic, there's the angels, like I said. Um, and it's uh, it's actually a very progressive Cairo. It's a Cairo that has, you know, escaped colonial uh, occupation because of the unleashing of magic that happened a few decades back. And so, you know, women are you know, one of the actual plot points in uh, The Haunting of Tramcar 015 is women's suffrage, which is a hot button issue. And Fatma is one of the few female agents in this special force. And so, you know, she's a groundbreaker. She wears these amazing suits and like bowler, like European style suits and like carries a sword cane. Like she's a total amazing character. And I feel like just looking at Golshifta, I feel like she could, I feel like she could carry it off. Uh, So yes, so (laughs) So she is so she is my star choice there. And then Siti, who's a super important character, um, who is described as uh, younger than Fatma, so like early 20s. She's very dark skinned. Um, she's tall. She's muscular. She's like, you know, sort of like an assassin thief kind of style person. Uh, I was just like, man, I need like Lupita Nyong'o like 10 years ago <laughs> is who I need. Like, where is that actress? I could not find mm. for the life of me an equivalent although I'm sure she is out there I just was not able to summon the search gods to assist me in finding her but like think that that's who we're thinking of like that's our vision for that role um And then uh, there are a couple of other agents uh, who I was playing around with casting. Um, one, Hamid Nasser, is one of the stars of Tramcar. Uh, and he is like, he's great. He's kind of like a little bit jaded. He's been, you know, a supernatural agent. That's not what they're called in the book, but I can't remember the name of it. So that we're just going with supernatural agent. He's been a supernatural agent for a while. And he's like saddled with this new recruit. And they're checking out this case that he, like, kind of doesn't want to do. And he's just, like, 
he's kind of dragged kicking and screaming into all of these different situations. And when I was reading, rereading the description and thinking about who I would want to play him, I picked Saeed Tagmawi, who uh, some folks might remember from Wonder Woman. He was part of the Wonder Woman's squad of like special operatives when she was going about all of her missions. And he just has, I think, the bearing and the charmingness that Hamid has, but also, like, I can totally see him pulling the faces that I envision for this character who's, like, you know, having to deal with stuff he really doesn't want to deal with. I think uh, Saeed Tagmoe would be great at that role. And then the new recruit that I was mentioning, Ansi, um, is supposed to be a guy and, you know, is like a baby-faced, like, you know, you know, round glasses and like super eager beaver. And all, <laughs> this is so funny. I don't know why my brain did this. All I could picture was Alia Shaukat, you know, from like Arrested Development, among other, many oh, other things. Oh my goodness. And I was like, gosh, she has the perfect yes. baby face for this. <laughs> so I was like, well, I'm just going to cast her for that role then. Because <laughs> who cares? Like, why not? Um... So yeah, so I I, did, I decided to go with Alia Shokat for that role because she I just can just see it, you know what I mean? I can just see it. Um, yeah, and, that eager beaver look, definitely. Yeah, and that like that round baby, baby face. face, like she just has it. It's that timeless, ageless face. Uh, so and then my last pick, this one also I just could not resist. I just couldn't resist. I love this. <laughs> <laughs> so there is a. Uh, policeman that Fatma works with regularly. He's sort of like a liaison between the regular police force of Cairo and then these supernatural detectives. And his name is Asim Sheriff. And I, like, I read the description a bunch of times. You know, he's older. He's got, like, giant whiskers, long, you know, gray hair. He's, like, a little bit, he's aging. Like, his uniform fits a little tight. And he's a little bit like a, an object of fun, although he's also, you know, a legit good at his job kind of guy. He's a stand-up person. And so I cast Tony Shalhoub. <laughs> yes, monk. <laughs> right? He's so good. I like Tony Shalhoub in Galaxy Quest is one of my all-time oh my favorite goodness, right? comedic roles. And I just feel like uh, there's no doubt in my mind that he could do this character justice. <laughs> oh, that's excellent. Yeah. So I had, I had a real good time with this. Not going to lie. <laughs> This is so good. I feel like we can pat ourselves on the back. And I will say when you were talking about, um, you know, a a younger version of Lupita Nyong'o, I had a similar experience of like, and I think that, you know, of course, this is endemic to Hollywood in general, like, especially looking for, you know, the younger, darker skinned black actresses is really difficult. And that you know, says a lot about, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. who gets cast and who gets to be actors. Yeah. She's kind of the one and only in a lot of ways um, for her yeah. age group and her for her skin tone. And I hope that, like, you know, she's busting all kinds of doors down, obviously, mm-hmm. um, alongside, you know, actresses like Viola Davis and, uh, you know, 
Taraji P. Henson and, you know, there's so many um, amazing actresses out there. I mean, hell, even Lizzo, she was in Hustlers, right? Like she was right, in. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, they're out there doing the things. But I do hope that it gets easier, especially for the purposes of my dream casting to find, you know, actresses who are darker and who get mm-hmm. to do things that bring them attention. Um, and then I can find them in IMDb and cast them in my in my dream cast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. And then all of the uh, people who are in charge of optioning things and making adaptations who are definitely listening to oh, us obviously, right now obviously. will take all their <laughs> ideas from us. <laughs> yes. Just get, you know, drop us a line. You can email us, us at SFF yet. You know, you know book com. You know, whatever. Happy to consult. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that's it for our show. That was a super fun one. And um, I hope everybody out there is uh, dreamcasting your beloved books to be adapted as well. And SFF Yeah! is sound edited by D.R. Baker. Many, many thanks to them for making us sound great each and every episode. And for more recommendations, you can check out bookriot.com and find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. And thank you so much for listening to the show. You can email us at sffyeah at bookriot.com. Please do send us your ideas and thoughts for our 100th episode. We can't wait to hear uh, your feedback on that. And if you have a minute, please review us on Apple Podcasts because it helps people find us. You can find us online as well. Where can they find you, Jen? Mostly on Instagram at I am Jen IRL. That's I-A-M-J-E-N-N-I-R-L. And you can also find me on Instagram at Williams, S-C-A-I-N-A-B Williams. And we'll talk to y'all later. <laughs>